supporters of the RFPA and supporters of the truth of God's Word as it's proclaimed in the Protestant Reformed churches, in my judgment, it's almost impossible to over-exaggerate the significance, the seriousness, and the soberness of the topic that's been assigned to me to speak on tonight. We live now in the midst of a powerful sexual revolution, something that we're able to see very clearly around us today. Something that is one of the outstanding threats to the church of Jesus Christ that we face in this day and age. There is thinking in the world and an activity in the world that continues to grow more and more. And now more and more that pressure of the thinking of the world is placed upon the church for the church to conform to the thinking and the lifestyle of the world. Everywhere you turn, it seems, there is evidence of this. The world's open promotion of sexual promiscuity, whether before marriage or outside of marriage. There is the multi-billion dollar industry that is pornography. Men and women being ensnared in the close embrace of many strange women. There is the promotion of unbiblical divorce and the seemingly inevitable remarriage that follows after that. There is sex promoted in the music and the books of the world. Sex on the TV screen and in the movies. Now we see developing more and more recently the support of homosexuality and same-sex marriage so-called. And now, again today, as that agenda progresses, the support of transsexualism and transgenderism. There's a powerful sexual revolution taking place in the world in which we live and in which we Raise our children. What do we do? What do we say? How do we respond? What's our witness in the face of this sexual revolution? The answer for us is that we continue to proclaim the truth of God's Word boldly. We do that in our churches, but we do that also through the means of the RFPA. It's for that reason that I asked Mr. Cole to read from Acts chapter 4. Perhaps not the first passage that we think of when we consider this topic, but it's especially in verse 29 there where the theme of the speech comes, and now, Lord, behold their threatenings, Grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. Context there is the disciples preaching the word of God and for that being imprisoned and threatened by the leaders of the church world in that day. They were told not to go out and to preach the truth with boldness anymore. 
And when the church heard of that, they fell on their knees before God and pleaded with God, Lord, grant to us boldness, that with boldness we may continue to preach and to teach the Word of Jesus Christ. That's what we need today as well. We need the gift of God's boldness, the gift that comes only from the grace of God to us, that with boldness we continue to set forth the truth of God with regard to marriage and sexuality and gender. So that our prayer tonight, as churches, as believers, as an association, the same prayer that the church of old prayed, Lord, grant boldness. Give boldness to us in the face of this sexual revolution. In order that we might give a knowledgeable witness in the midst of this revolution, we need to understand the nature of what we're facing and some of the things that led up to this in the society in which we live today. I'm going to start by just considering some of the things that we see presently around us. And a bit come to looking at the past and things that have led up to where we are today. And then briefly looking a bit to the future and what we yet can face. First of all, understanding where we are today. What's the present situation that the church is facing? As we mentioned just a moment ago, the worship of sex is everywhere in society. The society in which we live falls down in worship before the goddess sex and the goddess of selfish sexual fulfillment. Promoted amongst the young people and the young adults that it's okay to engage in sexual activity outside of marriage as long as it's safe. There is the open acceptance of adultery by those who are married. There is the continued promotion of pornography. A multi-billion dollar business. And the things that flow out of that brother in Australia at the beginning of the week sent me a link to a website that shows the connection between pornography and sexual abuse and even rape. That young men who are feeding their selves on pornography are now expecting these things of girlfriends and of young women in school. It's leading to sexual abuse. Unbiblical divorce and the seemingly inevitable remarriage that follows. The glamorizing of sex in music and in TV shows and movies. Another brother in this past week indicated to me that some of the research shows that certain TV shows when they air, because they're so explicit, cause the internet traffic on pornography websites to become less and less because they're gaining that same kind of fulfillment 
in the TV shows that are watched. See that in the advertising, the old adage, sex sells. See that really wherever we turn, wherever we look, wherever we listen to something constantly placed before our eyes is the glorification of sex. The agenda of the sexual revolution is only advancing and developing. First of those developments that we're witnessing is the development of homosexuality and lesbianism and the support of so-called same-sex marriages. Striking how quickly this has become an issue. Four or even five years ago, it hardly seemed to be something that was on our radar, something that we talked about. Just that short amount of time, the last four or five years, it has become a major issue that we're facing. More and more, the world promotes this as a legitimate alternative lifestyle. It's promoted by the movies, the TV shows, the advertisements, this celebrity Hollywood movie star, and then that sports figure comes out as gay, as a homosexual, and the world lauds them for their bravery and their courage. Just a year ago now, there was the landmark Supreme Court decision in Obergefell versus Hodges, where essentially our Supreme Court legalized same-sex marriage. That marriage now can be a man and a man, and a woman with a woman. And the other development that we're seeing is with the development of transgenderism. And there are all kinds of examples of that around us as well. Former Olympic athlete Bruce Jenner undergoing a sex change surgery to be reborn and remade as Caitlyn Jenner. And heaps of awards given to him now for his courage and his bravery to really express himself and be who he is. Read in the news about the major retailer Target and transgender bathrooms and the ability of those who are transgender to use whatever bathroom they desire. Case coming out of a high school in Virginia before the U.S. Supreme Court in relation to bathrooms and transgendered young people. Famous movie stars, now apparently in the midst of a bitter divorce, telling their young daughter, that she ought to identify herself as John, as a young boy, because that's what she wants. The world now proclaims that gender is merely a construct of society. Gender isn't based upon our physical anatomy, the way that God made our body, but it's simply based upon what we feel. So that a person can be with the body of a man, 
but claiming to be identifying as a woman, and then go through procedures and mutilate the body so that what that person feels, how they might identify themselves, is now matched by the way that their body looks. Striking too how quickly that has developed just one year ago. The issue before us was homosexuality, same-sex marriage. What's the Supreme Court going to rule? And in just one year's time, it's really a dead issue. It's settled. And now the issue is transgenderism and doing what's necessary to give the rights to those who want to choose whatever gender they desire. See this sexual revolution advancing so that not only is there the undermining of God's institution of marriage, there's also the undermining of gender and the body. Powerful forces at play in the world in which we live today. Things that are a bit frightening when we consider them. Yet not at all surprising. That because what we're seeing presently has been in development for years now in the past. The road has been paved for decades to where we stand today. A number of things that we could point to. We don't have time to do that tonight. Such things as evolutionism, feminism, postmodernism, all of these things have helped shape where we're at today. What I want to point out is that in the world, these developments that are taking place in this sexual revolution are not at all an accident. These things are taking place according to a definite agenda and a definite playbook. Something that can be identified already in the 1980s. 1987, two men by the name of Marshall Kirk and Hunter Madsen wrote an essay called The Overhauling of Straight America, and that was later expanded and developed into a book entitled After the Ball, How America Will Conquer Its Fear and Hatred of Gays in the 90s. The work of those two men, somewhat obscure in the 80s, really serves as the agenda, it serves as the playbook by which the sexual revolutionaries of today are advancing their revolution. Striking to see that the things that they laid out in the 80s are exactly the things that have taken place in the last few years to advance that cause. Those men argued that the way to change the thinking of the people of America is not immediately to try to make them accept homosexuality thing to do is simply to change the thinking of the world so that when they hear about these issues, their response is just a shrug of the shoulders. They're really indifferent. That's not maybe the way that they would live their life, but 
for that other person to do that, that's okay. It's really none of their business. And no one else may tell them what their business may be. They're not doing anyone any harm. So that the response is indifference to this. And in order to accomplish that goal, they laid out six steps to follow. First of all, they said, talk about gays and gayness as loudly and as often as possible so that it just becomes a regular thing that we hear and we see. Secondly, present gays as victims in need of sympathy and help rather than aggressive challengers. Instead of portraying them as those who are actively out to seek their supposed rights and advance their cause, they're merely victims. Thirdly, give protectors, those who themselves don't practice this but are trying to protect homosexuals, give protectors a just cause so that rather than supporting homosexuals, they think they are supporting such things as the freedom of speech. We're not supporting homosexuality. We're just supporting the freedom of speech. Someone's First Amendment rights. Give the cause that kind of glossy exterior. Fourth, make gays look good as pillars of society, supporters of the family, supporters of a monogamous relationship with one person. Fifth, make the opponents look bad by vilifying them and portraying them all as, quote, bigoted southern ministers drooling with hysterical hatred to a degree that looks both comical and deranged, end quote. Then six, solicit funds to launch a massive advertising campaign. Six steps through the use of TVs, movies, and the media of today, to change the thinking of the people of America so that they look at homosexuals as innocent victims who simply want to live together as others do and paint those who are opposed to that as wild, hysterical southern ministers or Protestant Reformed ministers or to paint them in the light of Adolf Hitler, one like that with a crazed, hysterical attitude. It was in the 80s. That familiar at all to us now. It's exactly what we see happening. This is exactly the playbook that's been followed. So that today, even though statistics supposedly say that those who actively practice homosexuality are just a small minority of the population, the vocal media trumpets this as being something that's wildly popular and something that everyone is and must support. But there's more that we can look at in the past that helps us understand where we're at in the present. Here there are things that the church, the church world broadly bears responsibility for. First place, church bears responsibility for 
helping advance this cause by its acceptance of unbiblical divorce and remarriage. Decades ago, divorce was hardly considered as an option. If someone was in a difficult, bad marriage, they didn't really think to get out of that marriage and to divorce the spouse. It was something almost unheard of. Then more and more, it became popular with Divorce where a person would admit fault. And by admitting fault, they could get out of that marriage. And then in the 1960s, there was the development of no-fault divorce. Seemed cruel and pretty unloving to send someone to court, have to stand and testify and admit fault and guilt on their part. So, no-fault divorce allow people to divorce for any reason for irreconcilable differences that they have. In just a moment, the marriage vanishes. Sadly, that was something that was accepted even in the broader church world. With the acceptance of unbiblical divorce and the remarriage that follows, The church contributed to the undermining of marriage. Marriage as one man and one woman for life. With the church's help and the breakdown of marriage, it develops into the destroying of marriage through homosexuality and transgenderism. Second place, Church bears responsibility for paving the way for these developments that we see with its acceptance of birth control, especially the birth control pill and its acceptance of abortion. Birth control is not something new to our day and age. It's something that's been around for A very long time, but with the advance of modern technology comes the advancement in birth control methods. Whereas before, perhaps there was a kind of outward check on sexual immorality because of the consequences that would come, an unwanted and an unexpected pregnancy, now that's gone. A person can take a pill that keeps them from having children, or if by some supposed mistake a child is born, they can quietly kill off the consequences by abortion. Developed in the 1960s with the development and the promotion and the acceptance of the birth control pill. And then in 1973, with the important Roe versus Wade case where abortion became legalized. And this too promoted, to, promoted the development of the sexual revolution. Now, what God has ordinarily blessed with marriage in the giving of children is entirely disconnected from marriage. And those who promote the agenda of homosexuality and transgenderism build upon that. Supposed marriages where children are impossible to conceive and to bear. 
Church world bears responsibility for paving that way, either by its open acceptance of these things or its silence on these issues. The third place, the church world broadly bears responsibility for paving the way for these developments with its acceptance of fornication and so-called cohabitation on the part of its young people and its young adults. Again, decades before, it was considered sin for a person to engage in sexual activity before marriage. But now today, it's viewed as cruel, unloving, restrictive to require a young person to keep themselves pure before marriage. They have After all, have been given from God a good sexual nature and desire. And who are we to try and tell these young people not to exercise this gift that God has given to them? Just so long as they learn to practice safe sex. More and more, the youth of today think that dating necessarily includes sexual activity. How else are you going to know if that's the person you're going to marry? If you didn't engage in sex with them prior to marriage. And that becomes a regular thing. To tie it to the previous point, the young women are encouraged to Get on the birth control pill so that they can freely engage in this kind of activity with their boyfriends. And more and more, the thinking today is that in order for someone to really know if they love someone, they have to live together, cohabitation or shacking up together. They have to live together with one another before they get married. And that's encouraged amongst the young adults. They have all kinds of financial responsibilities. They have to finish their schooling. They have to get a good job. And who are we then to to tell them that this person that they love, that they're committed to, who eventually down the road they like to get married to, but they can't live with them. This too, more and more promoted even in the church world, undermining the institution of marriage so that two people who want to live together and be with one another is enough. And marriage more and more is pushed out of the way. Factors in years gone by have contributed powerfully to the present situation that we find ourselves in in this world. What about the future then? Seeing where we are today, we've seen how we got there because of past issues and development, but what can we expect going forward? Expect only that this sexual revolution will continue to move forward to make progression and development. It's not out of the realm of possibility that this sexual revolution continues to include incest 
polygamy, bestiality, and even pedophilia. The breakdown of marriage as one man and one woman. Now including one man with one man and one woman with one woman. What stands in the way of identifying marriage however one pleases? Whether that be a man with a child or a man with a beast or a mother with her son. The only criteria that must be met is there must be consent. That's the one last thing that the world will hold to. It doesn't matter what you want to do or with whomever you want to do it, just so long as you're both consenting. Otherwise, you're free to do as you please. means in the end, the death of marriage in the eyes of the world. Really, what purpose in the end will marriage have? What reason will the state have to acknowledge and, and define marriage? Let marriage go away. There's no purpose anymore that it serves in our modern society. Let the people do whatever they please with whomever they desire. What does the future hold? The future holds persecution for those who continue to teach and to preach and to publish the truth of God's Word with regard to sex and marriage. More and more, freedom of speech will be taken away. More and more, Religious liberty will be limited and denied for the sake of this new world order in which we're living. And the church can either get in line, get in step with the thinking of the world, or the church can get out of the way. More and more she'll be silenced. The privilege she has to speak the truth, to publish the truth, will be limited and taken away, and finally will involve physical persecution, perhaps even imprisonment and death for those who stand up in the face of this sexual revolution. What is our calling then? It's the calling of the RFPA. The calling is to continue to teach and to preach and to publish the truth of God's Word boldly. It's the calling first and foremost of the church through the preaching of the Gospel. But the RFPA has a place as well and a calling as well in support of the work of the church and in support of the proclamation of the Gospel and the promotion and the publishing of the truth of the Gospel. Also, to teach the Word of God with all boldness. Illustrate that point with 
something taken out of history of World War II. The time between the two wars, between the Great War to end all wars, supposedly, and the Second World War, it's a time when Adolf Hitler came to power in Germany and began building up his army, began annexing some of the countries that laid around him in order to provide more living room for the German people, supposedly. And at that time, the power standing in opposition, supposedly, to Germany were the people of England. But they were silent. They didn't say a word. They didn't want another world war. So they didn't say anything to stop Hitler. They allowed him to continue devouring all of these countries until it finally escalated and exploded into the Second World War. But there was one voice. voice of one man that was standing opposed. That was Winston Churchill. He continued, even though he was politically exiled, he was ostracized as some radical warmonger to continue to say, there's a problem here. We need to deal with this problem or it's going to escalate into another war. I'll say that to glorify the man simply as a way of illustrating this truth. Church faces a threat. Sadly, there are many around who are silent with regard to this. Refuse to speak against the developments that are taking taking place in this sexual revolution. The calling that we have is to proclaim and to publish the truth boldly. Even if that means that We stand virtually alone doing so, even if that means that we're ostracized as radicals, those who stand opposed to this new world order, those that won't get in step with those in the revolution. It means that we're unafraid to touch the hard, difficult subjects. Such things as sex birth control, homosexuality, transgenderism. We proclaim the truth of God's Word as it applies in these areas. We do so while God has yet given to us the freedom and the liberty to do so. While we still have the freedom of speech and the freedom of the press and religious liberty because these things slowly will be taken away from us. Called to labor while it's yet day. Because the night comes when no man can labor. Is that witness that we give more specifically though now? It's the witness that we give through the RFPA to the world and to the broader church world. Our witness is the careful explanation of the Word of God with regard to sex and marriage and gender. It's teaching the truth of God's Word that sex is a good gift of God. 
when exercised within the bounds God has set, within the bounds of marriage. It's teaching that sex before marriage and outside of marriage is sin in the eyes of God that must be repented of. It's continuing to proclaim boldly the Word of God stands opposed to unbiblical divorce and remarriage while one's previous spouse is still living. means teaching to our young people that they must live pure and holy. There is no sexual uncleanness even through texting and Snapchat and their interactions with their peers, with boyfriends and girlfriends. means that we continue to proclaim that homosexuality is a sin. Not just the outward action, but also the thoughts and the desires of that are sin that must be repented of means that we continue to teach that transgender is not an option. Our gender is identified by our physical makeup, the way that God has made our body. And if there is in us some kind of feeling that maybe we belong to the opposite gender, the answer is not change the body to correspond to that feeling continue through the means of grace and through repentance to bring that feeling into conformity with the body that God has given to us. There's no altering, no mutilating of our bodies based upon the feeling that we might have. Something that we continue to proclaim through our beloved standard bearer, through the books that we publish, even through social media, through the blogs, so that we continue to send forth to the world around us the truth of God in relation to sex and to marriage. There are some who are coming to recognize that the place that the acceptance of such things as unbiblical divorce have played in this sexual revolution. We continue to teach the truth of God's Word with respect to that. We do so with wisdom as well. A boldness that is governed and directed by wisdom from God. So that our witness is not a foolish witness done in such a foolish way that we almost willingly bring upon ourselves persecution from others around us. But with wisdom, we proclaim boldly the truth of God's Word. Not only is that necessary for a witness to those around us, those in the world and those in the broader church world, We need that through the RFPA for our own circles. 
need openness in that regard. Has to be carefulness as well with such uh, intimate, special subject. There has to be openness on our part. It may have been the case that decades ago, it was something that was never spoken of openly. We dare not mention the word sex. That's inexcusable in the day and age in which we live. With that carefulness and wisdom, there must be openness on our part. Just as the world around us is open to promote their agenda and advancing their sexual revolution in opposition to God, so also do we have to be open and bold in proclaiming the truth of God's Word as it relates to these important issues. It's necessary for us. It's necessary for us in our own witness in the midst of this sexual revolution. We need to be equipped to give a knowledgeable witness to those around us of these things that are taking place. We need that instruction for ourselves in our own marriages. To continue by the grace of God to maintain good, God-glorifying marriages where there's a joint effort to resist temptation with all of the pressures that we face. We need that witness for our own children and our young people. They're growing up in a day and age which is entirely different from the day and age in which we grew up. They need instruction. They need to be taught. The truth of God's Word as it relates to sexuality and marriage and gender. We need that for ourselves as well because there are our own people who already now or who will struggle with these things. Struggle with homosexuality. Struggle perhaps even with the thoughts of transgenderism. Need to help saints of God who are struggling with sin and temptation. We need to be equipped to minister to them, to bring God's Word to bear on their lives. It's a necessary and an important witness, not only that we give to those around us, but something that we need ourselves. We live in a very dark and an evil day. We live in a day and age in which wickedness abounds. The love of many waxes cold. We must, as the church of Jesus Christ in these last days, continue to be faithful the calling that God has given to us, that without fear and without compromise, 
We proclaim and we publish boldly the truth of God's Word. We do so in the hope of the coming again of our Lord Jesus Christ. We see in all of these events and these developments taking place, these things are signs of the time and are leading to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We labor in the hope of His coming. We labor with the prayer on our lips. Now, as the church of Jesus Christ at the end of the New Testament age, it was the same prayer that was on the lips of the church at the beginning of the New Testament age. Lord, grant boldness. Grant that Thy servants might with all boldness proclaim faithfully with wisdom the truth of Thy Word. With this prayer too, even so, come Lord Jesus.